You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. So here's the thing. Um, We're not trying to get away from Methodism by separating ourselves from the United Methodist Church. We're we're actually trying to get back to Methodism. (laughs) And that's the point of the messages that we're in right now. Knowing that we would be in this process, not realizing exactly where we would be in this process, but knowing we would be in this process... We set up a series of messages that would allow you to really think about what it means to be Methodist. What distinguishes this church from the Lutheran church up the street or the Baptist church that's two blocks up this way or the independent church that's three blocks down that way? What what makes us a Methodist? And does that even matter? John Wesley, the man who launched the Methodist movement in the 1700s, was certain that God gave Methodists the the job of stewarding the doctrine of Christian perfection. That's our distinctive. That's the idea that we can be made perfect in love in this life. And we got that idea from Jesus, who calls us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And by perfect, Jesus means learning to love without agenda. It's the idea that we can be made perfect in love. John Wesley called it the grand depositum. Kevin Watson says, this is Methodism's big idea. Salvation brings not only the forgiveness and pardon, but also empowerment and freedom to live a faithful and holy life entirely and right now. This is our grand deposit, the treasure that God has entrusted to the particular people called Methodists. And while we talk about it like it's an exclusively Methodist thing, it's really not. It's a, it's a Christian thing because holiness or Christian perfection or entire sanctification, whichever word you want to use, is ultimately about love. It's what John said in 1 John chapter 4, 18. He, he wrote, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. That was what John said. And it is what God commanded the Israelites to do in Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And when Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 10, he added the mind. So he, and then he said that we also have to love each other so that, so that loving God and loving others is the, uh, the, loving, the loving others part is the other half of the story. Turns out that God really wants us to get this whole business of love perfect. That's what he wants. He wants you to get your behavior perfect. He's not looking for you to get every answer right. He just wants you to learn how to love people well. So we started a few weeks ago by talking about holy love. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. We heard Jesus' command to his followers in Matthew 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect in love. Which really means, do you remember this? Become watchable. Do you remember when we used that phrase? I understand um, they're all laughing over there right now because Taylor, she was talking about it one night in Epic and um, and she, she accidentally skipped a, 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 she said washable instead of watchable. (laughs) Be washable. So now all of our epic students know they need to be washable, but also watchable. Are you watchable? That's the challenge of Jesus when he said, be perfect. 
Then a couple of weeks ago, Chris helped us think through what it means to cultivate a holy mind. We learned that to develop the mind of Christ, we have to understand the battlefield we're on, how to fight the, the battles against the devil, against our own fallen inclinations, and against the world. And then last week, Chris talked about developing holy influences, and he sat you down at a table with a cup of coffee, and he invited you into that space so that you could learn how to cultivate disciplines that cultivate holiness, like like meditation and prayer and confession and conversation, help it using those to examine our deepest motives and learning how to develop a spirit of vulnerability and humility. It's about showing up in the places where God tells us he will show up if we show up. So Kevin Watson says, the only people desperate for freedom in all, from all the ways that sin has wrapped itself around their lives let me start again. Only people desperate for freedom from all the ways that sin has wrapped itself around their lives are willing to own and confess their brokenness to other people. Only people who are that desperate are likely to receive the gift of entire sanctification. Are you that desperate? So we talked about how to love the Lord by loving others, how to cultivate a holy mind and holy habits. Today I want to talk about loving God with your strength with your body. What does holiness have to do with our bodies? Not just the typical stuff we talk about, sexual purity and, and, and uh, exploiting our, our bodies, but, but how, do, how do we think about holiness as an embodied practice? So Paul tells us, Romans 12, 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. So when, when Paul talks about bodies and souls, he does this over and over again in his letters to the first century church. This is what he's after. He wants us to understand that we're more than just morality. We're more than just biology. We're a kind of embodied theology. Our whole beings testify to the life of God, the goodness of God, the majesty of God, the creativity of God, the holiness of God. All these things are witnessed to, not in spite of our bodies, but through them. And in his letters to the Thessalonians, Paul pulls all this together by talking about holiness and bodies and what it means to please God. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn it with me to 1 Thessalonians. That's one of those little ones in the New Testament. Um, it kind of sits in the middle of, a, of several books that all start with the letter T. Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus. Best way to engage the message is always with your Bible, something to write with, something to write on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul begins, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. I want you to circle that word, please. <laughs> As in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. If you wanted to put sanctification into its simplest form, there it is. Learn how to live and then do that more and more. <laughs> Learn how to live in a way that pleases God and then do that more and more. That's, that's sanctification. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul begins there with his word about pleasing God. We, we live to please God. Holiness is pleasing to God. And I think that's good news. 
It means pleasure isn't something we have to deny ourselves if we pursue holiness or that pleasure and holiness are somehow mutually exclusive. And it doesn't mean you have two options, holiness or fun. (laughs) Actually, holiness is an embodied practice. Let me say that. Holiness is an embodied practice, which basically means that our bodies have a story to tell or a story they are designed to tell about the nature of a holy God. Your your body is designed to say something about God. That's why Rich Velotis says, every body has a story. So what story does your body tell? I have a friend. Her name is Peggy. I just saw her in Houston because she lives there. And every time I go there, she and I get together to do something. And every time we get together, she always wants to do something physical. She wants to do yoga, or she wants to um, show me some dance that she's um, learned. And so here we are in her house. Yes, this happened this past week. We're in her house, and she's dancing, and she has me dancing with her in her house. I always tell her, you are my strangest friend, Peggy, the strangest person I know. But I love her so much because she's so... She, she, I love how the, the life and the faith she has in her. And I would say she embodies holiness particularly well. She is very wise when it comes to integrating body and soul. And she told me this when I was with her this past week. She just kind of throw away line when she was talking and we were, I don't know, doing something. She said, she said people tend to carry their stress in their hips. And as soon as she said that to me, I thought, and that explains a lot. Anybody else here? Like, oh. <laughs> if you don't believe my wonderfully strange friend, Peggy, maybe the internet will convince you. There's, this is a direct quote. Neuroscience indicates that hips are a potential storage vessel for emotions. I looked it up because I thought, this could just be Peggy, you know. But it's actually like, like pages and pages of stuff about Emotions and hips and the connection. We're told we hold trauma in our hips. The fight, flight, or fright responses are nestled in our hips. It's fascinating to me. So to the extent that I am wound up and fearful, distrustful of God and his plans for me, fearfully hiding from or rebelliously fighting against God, my body will keep the score. Likewise, to the extent that I am in love with Jesus and leaning more more into him, learning to love him fully, my body will also tell that story. It's not to say that faithful followers of Jesus never get sick. Clearly, that's just not so. But that our bodies actually do reflect in some way the freedom that we find in Christ. So come on, my frozen chosen friends. Our, our bodies, it is possible that your body is crying out to have a closer connection with its creator than your mind is willing to give it. It is possible that your body is crying out to be closer to your creator than your mind is willing to give it. What story? Is your body being told by your brain? Does it speak freedom or fear? What story do your aches and pains tell? Come on, 
Do you have a ton of anxiety stored up in your cells? Is your body storing up distrust or anger? Rich Velota says everybody indeed has a story of pain, pleasure, frustration, abuse, nurture, regret, shame, and love. I would say that most of us experience all these stories in our bodies, which suggests that throughout the course of our lives, we will have to wrestle with the stories of our bodies and relate to them and the bodies of others in deeply formed ways. Did you know? That, that, that you are being understood not by, in, in the heavenlies, not in spite of your body, but because of it, within it. At creation, God used bodies to answer our loneliness by creating community in the spirit of the Trinity. Male and female, he created them. And, and when we misused our bodies and found ourselves wallowing in shame, God used the body of Christ, the body of Christ, to prove the point that our bodies can connect us back to God. In his body, Jesus pleased the will of God. In his body, Jesus satisfied the deepest longing of our souls to connect our design with our designer. In his body, Jesus is restoring us daily. In his body, Jesus sits in the presence of God. Think about that, about the profound mystery of it, that somewhere in the universe, a human body is sitting in the unhindered presence of God. Come on. I mean, he's out there somewhere. God didn't throw it away like a used Starbucks cup. He made that body. It's a guarantee. That body, that human body of Jesus sitting in the unhindered presence of God is a guarantee that my body and your body will one day be physically resurrected, that God's grand plan in includes the redemption not just of your soul, but of your body too. So that's the substance of Paul's heart for the people he writes to. He says, you need to, you need to experience the kind of pleasure that God has called you to. Not a cheap imitation. Find your joy in the presence of God. He takes us directly from there into longing. Right here he makes a direct connection between our bodies and what it means to live a sanctified or holy life. Look at verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Paul writes, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. There it is. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And of course those are lines that people like the Puritans have picked up and made into black and white realities. Taking, taking them out of context so they could beat each other over the head with them. But Paul says, I want you to hear the deeper idea. Paul gives us a radical idea here. He says, I want you to see that your body and your worship are connected. <laughs> that this desire to please God is an embodied practice. So glorify, he says this to the Corinthians, glorify God in your body. 
Don't let yourself settle for some cheap imitation. Avoid sexual immorality. Learn to control your body in a way that holds integrity. Don't do it like the pagans who split body from soul, who use each other for their own ends, who use bodies to create cultures of shame. Don't do it like that. Because we are made in the image of God designed to reflect his glories. My friend Phyllis Kaiser says, you've heard me say it before, we are not pornographic, we are theographic. The image of God written on our souls. We are not soulless bodies to be used. We are an embodied holiness designed to love God and enjoy him. Our stories are written by God into every cell of our bodies. So every body has a story, but more than that, every cell has a story. And if that's true, then what if that longing we feel, you know that longing, it's the little inner Matthew and Tevin saying, ah, go after God while your body is <laughs> unable to make that happen. What if that longing we feel that can sometimes send us down foolish paths when we read it out of context, what if that hunger and feeling of emptiness, what if that is actually your spirit reaching out for your original design, for the story that integrates body and soul? And what if it is actually your body longing to honor its designer? No wonder we come into worship, at least some of us, find ourselves reaching out to God. I remember there was somebody years ago was, was coming to the Mosaic and had come out of a tradition that was not physical in worship at all. And, um, and so over time, we wore her down a little bit. And one day I saw her put up one arm like this. And she told me afterward, I just put up one. So in case my husband asked me about it, I could say, I just was going to ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> What if, what, if, what if it is okay to let the cells of your being express the glories of God? To the extent that we reject the opportunities to be open to the Spirit of God, it may be that we are, listen to this, listen to this. To the extent that we reject the opportunities to be open to the Spirit of God, it may be that we are listening to our stories of trauma and shame rather than our story of redemption. To the extent that we reject the opportunities to open ourselves and worship physically, it may be, not necessarily, but maybe that we are letting the stories of shame and trauma in our lives speak with a louder voice than the story of redemption. So when you worship, which story is louder in your ear? The story of shame or trauma or the story of redemption? If you're going to choose one new posture to work on as a way of physically expressing your desire to grow closer to God, which posture would it be? Maybe it's time for you to break out and kneel in prayer. Or maybe it's time to raise your hands and worship. Or to pray with an open posture. 
I remember how it was for me when I first was filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened at a walk to Emmaus. It was on a Saturday night after everything was over. There were some people in the some community room, just just somebody playing a guitar, everybody standing around them singing. And I hadn't, I was off in the corner. I I was raised in a mainline church. I had never expressed myself physically in worship ever, ever. Um, and and I watched them, and something inside me was just. The longing just grew and grew and grew, and my hands went up, and I felt it. I felt it, y'all. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. It started at the bottom of my feet, and it filled me up the way a fountain drink fills your cup. It just filled me all the way up. I didn't even know I was being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, verse 6, in this matter, no one should be wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins. We, we, as we told you and warned you before, for God didn't call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. There's so much we could say here. Most of it's been said in a thousand other places. You already know moral right from wrong. Paul's bigger point is that cheap imitations can't live in the same body with the Holy Spirit. So when we choose less than holy, we're choosing less than Holy Spirit. Our bodies are more than morality and biology. We're more than plumbing and wiring. Our, our physical stories are more than a test to be passed. So much more. We are redeemed people with stories and spiritual gifts designed to be in partnership with God to build the kingdom on earth. So all day, all week long, when I was trying desperately to write this message, I, this image came up for me. That one. If you're my age or younger, you know that, right? That's from Lady and the Tramp. Yeah. I, ke I kept thinking. I mean, in fact, I said it to Steve last night. Today's the day they'll find out I'm a fraud. Because I just, I don't know what I was thinking, trying thinking I could preach on holiness. It's both complicated and incredibly simple, and it's really hard to talk about. In some way that you get something you can go home with. But this image, this image where this message is concerned is the one that stuck with me because when Lady and the Tramp find this plate of spaghetti in the back of some restaurant and they start eating together, they're having their little date, and they begin to slurp on a piece of spaghetti, they think they're slurping on two different pieces of spaghetti. And then the closer they get, the more obvious it becomes that it's the same piece of spaghetti. And there it is. You think that what you do with your body doesn't matter to your soul. And I'm not just talking in negative terms. I'm talking in positive terms, too. You think somehow those two things are separate. It's two strands. But body and soul, body and soul are connected. And the closer we get to holiness, the closer we get to the heart of God, the more we realize it's the same thing. The Holy Spirit lives in our 
bodies. Jesus described it in culinary terms. He said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on that last day. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. That's a pretty graphic image. Jesus paints, but the point is that God loved his creation. He formed his son into a human body, and he sent him to be a feast of salvation. So God the Father loves our bodies, God the Son redeemed our bodies, and God the Holy Spirit lives in our bodies. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 asks the most powerful question. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have, heard, whom you have from, from God, you're not your own. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's it. It's the point of everything that we glorify God. And even our bodies should point us toward God. So what story does your body tell? I want to ask you to stand. I want to give you the opportunity to receive healing prayer today. I, have, I want to be able to anoint you with oil and, and give you the opportunity to receive healing prayer over those aches and pains, which you may now, in this moment, begin to believe are connected to something else. I also want to give you the opportunity as Chris leads us in worship to give it a shot at becoming physically engaged in the act. But before I get there, I just want to speak Jesus over your body. I speak Jesus over every scar and wound and memory that has accumulated from living in a fallen world. I speak Jesus over every failure and disconnection and pain that took you away from the story that God has longed to write over your body and your soul. I speak Jesus as the first word of the story of your redemption. And I speak Jesus over the shame and fear that separates you from true intimacy with him and with each other. I speak Jesus over the loves and relationships that have healed you. And I speak Jesus over the loves and relationships that have wounded you. I speak Jesus over your unfulfilled longings and over the cheap substitutes you've tried to believe in that have only disappointed you and left you empty. I speak Jesus over the spiritual disciplines that have pulled you under the wing of God and that have showed you, you. I speak Jesus over all of you, body and soul, mind and spirit, relationships and being, and I bless you to glorify God in your body as Jesus glorified God in his so you can enjoy God, so you can experience the kind of pleasure that every other carnal exploitation has tried and failed to recreate. 
So rest in that blessing. And if you would like prayer for healing, I want to pray with you. And if you'd like to take some time to just lean in physically to the work of worship, this space is open for you. Lord, I pray for the one this morning who desperately needs to hear that their bodies will be redeemed too. That you long to redeem the whole person. We're not just souls waiting to be disembodied so we can get someplace where it doesn't hurt anymore. We're actually bodies, souls, mind, and spirit longing to be released into the kingdom now, to be made perfect in love now. So Jesus, do your work in us. Do your work in us. If you, have, if you want prayer for anything at all, you're invited to come as we worship. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.